to Casuals of Runeterra Book Club. I'm your host, Ryan, and we're doing another one of those things that we usually don't do. Our point five <laughs> episode. Part two is done. If you're at this point, we've gotten there, and we got to do episode 20.5, and I'm here with your other host, Pat. <laughs> What's up? I... Just you know, just remind them this isn't normal. All right. <laughs> he he only lets me out of the closet every now and then. <laughs> you know, we gotta scare them a bit sometimes, right? You gotta, they're like, "Oh no, what's happening? Are they breaking up?" <laughs> you no, know, you say breaking up. It's Hetch being fired. <laughs> yeah, he's been replaced with AI because it's just more cost efficient. <laughs> So 20.5, remember these 0.5 episodes are for fun, so if you don't have time for this, don't feel bad about moving on to the next episode. This is just for me to get Hetch's point of view on some stuff that we've talked about, right? And we know how packed part two has been, so I can lie to you and say it's going to be a 10-minute episode, and you can take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> don't take it with a grain of salt. Take it with like three rock salt grains. <laughs> we're talking about enough salt to season your food here (laughs) yeah let's pick up where we left off hetch uh thoughts on the callista venix duo baby (laughs) oh you already know all of my thoughts and the best part about that comment is we legitimately have not talked about it at all and yep. you probably know exactly <laughs> where my brain is Because yeah. <laughs> although I may be a disgusting goblin of a human, I am at least consistent. <laughs> On a scale of one to Eduardo Santangelo. <laughs> where are you feeling that? <laughs> I may or may not be writing poetry about Finnick right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm full Eduardo here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shout out to, you know, the OGs. And, um, uh, real talk riot. Yeah. Get, bring it. Bring Eduardo back. All right. Like we, we miss him. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about it. Like it was definitely yeah. a, for me with the, you know, the sadness of Callista leaving, obviously being, uh, engaged to Hecrum and the whole Adros thing, and she finally sets sail on a depressing mission, and then to get introduced to the captain Venix and seeing that play out, that was a lot of fun for me. That was I, a hell like, of a way to shift into part two. Like me being a gross human being aside, <laughs> um, like Finnick, Finnick is like the absolute perfect kind of character for the for the ambiance that was set, right? Because Callista's not happy about her situation oh, Fennec, going Fennec. out. Okay, you said Finnick. Uh, okay, Finnick, Finnick. Uh, yeah. Like I like I play Pokemon too. Okay. Like, I know. I know. Listen, I, we we okay. We've mentioned this before, <laughs> listeners. Is when you get to the point of nerdism that we engage in, the overlap becomes crippling when it comes to names. It, truly crippling. Yeah, so, so Phoenix. Phoenix, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Phoenix's character is like perfect for the, as far as for that ambiance that's set, because like the mood is very dour, but it's only Callista's mood that's dour, right? Yeah. And um, so like, it Phoenix actually helps brings out like a 
just the slightest amount of like childlike behavior out yeah. of Callista, which is great. Um, and I and I like her character to the extent where it's like you know because you said you even said in the episodes that it's like you know we start off with like pirates of the of the Caribbean mm-hmm. and then switch over into Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and like Phoenix being such a you know boisterous and fun going character like kind of gives it a little bit of its own feeling. Because it's like, yeah, sure, Jack Sparrow is very boisterous and outgoing, but he's also just, like, not there. Um, yeah. Where Phoenix is very much there. Like, she she has she has a good head on her shoulders. I was... Uh, as, as well as being that childlike energy. Yeah. So I, I, I think it, like, it was a good way to, like, kind of counterbalance it. It's funny because originally when I... When you're introduced, you're like, oh... Her name is Venix, and she's a Vestayan. Okay, how good can this writing get, right? <laughs> B name for the B character, the B. Care. Okay, and then it started to play out, and um, Anthony Reynolds doesn't go away from the trope of the pirate captain character, but the way he works it in to the counterbalance to Callista and her, you know, metaphorically leaving her comfort zone. And being in a space of uncomfort and then having Venix essentially being her guide to like, hey, have some fun with this. Like, it's a dour situation. We're on a mission. But a pirate life is a life for me. And a pirate life has some fun to it. So let's let's do this. Yeah. And and this is kind of a spoiler as far as for a later part in this episode. But uh, I think that it was also an episode for the episode for this episode. Yeah. Because you're this too generous. This isn't like this isn't the beginning of the of part two, right? But yeah, like, yeah, part two is, is pretty junky. Uh, uh, well, like technically, it's at this point that like mm. we get to see this part. We just don't know why. Uh, but like, it's also brilliant writing to have a Vestian captain because yeah. that was a very natural way to have the characters in the story learn that there is a magical barrier to the blessed isles right like it it wasn't one of those things where it's like you the reader know that there is some magical force that's keeping them out um but they don't know what it is like they like the uh venix being vestian it was like oh like what's this mist well, we see animal life, so we must be getting. Holy shit, you're glowing! Like that was. It's like, you know, like that was. Like, that's just smart writing, though, right? Yeah. Like to like give them a very natural way to kind of go along the same learning points that the reader gets, yeah. without it feeling like they're breaking the fourth wall. So I, I think that was a good choice, but um, obviously the worst choice is that you know Callista and Phoenix didn't profess their love for each other. I uh-huh. think that was a really bad choice. Um on the part of the writer uh, and not my personal preference at all. I love yeah. the interaction of, well, first of all, her constantly calling her princess because yeah. with, with, with Callista in her own world, right. In, and I say world, but I'm, you know, in Camivore, her comfort zone, she feels like she's the, you know, outcast. She's the rebel sort of, but being next to Venix, she realizes she's not a rebel at all. Right. Um, Venice is a true representation of someone who lives life by their own rules. And she's trying to show Callista that, um, yeah. that, yeah, you are cool. You are special, but y- you're, you're giving yourself a little bit too much credit. And it's like, no, no, you're, 
you're all right for yeah. royalty, and I'm not going to let you forget that you're royalty. Yeah. Like, it's, and I I love that banter. I love yeah. it so much. It was, uh, and, and again, it was like you know that's it's a needed thing because sure we have really been enjoying how much we like Callista and how mm -hmm. down to earth she is compared to the rest of the Camavorn cast. But, but at the end of the day, like she is still part of the Camavorn high royalty, right? Yeah. Like she's still, uh, she's still a very privileged person. So like this was a needed thing for Callista's character arc to kind of be humbled because no one in Camelvor is going to humble her, no matter how nope. long, how well she gets along with her soldiers and with the other common folk of Camelvor. They know who she is, so they're not going to humble her. And for Phoenix, you're on my ship. I don't care. <laughs> like this is this my kingdom now, princess. <laughs> so I asked you before, and now that you've had a lot more content consumed. Who is your favorite character now? Because previously, obviously it was Callista, but the story focused on her. You said your spicy answer was Ehrlich Grail. Um, but now that you've had some more characters introduced, Phoenix, who's your favorite? Phoenix. Phoenix? Phoenix, oh. Phoenix full stop, Phoenix. Okay. Um, uh, well, for pure reasons or? <laughs> for both. <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> Why not both? Uh, no, no, okay. I like yeah. Phoenix is definitely I like kid, I kid. no Phoenix is easily my favorite character right now because like she's also like later on when we you know like deeper into part two she's starting to play more of like kind of like the like uh, the audience's uh, point of view essentially yeah. uh, it like I, I I guess like I'm not finding a good way to express it there it's okay like. The way that like I am feeling when as far as like at a point of that story, yeah, and what my thoughts are, like Phoenix is already there. And okay. so like Phoenix is relatable is more relatable than any of the other characters at this point. Um okay. because like uh, Calissa is a relatable character, but she's supposed to be. She's the main character, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that uh Phoenix does a good job of kind of, you know. Because it is a prequel kind of story. We know how it's going to end, but yeah. the like Phoenix is doing a good job of kind of like, you know, kind of reminding me how I feel throughout this of just like, yo, like, uh, uh like I, I think like a great point is like when we get to meet, um, Tyrus and Rise, where Phoenix hot is like, young Rise, hot young Rise. <laughs> oh no, he's hot. <laughs> oh no, he's hot. <laughs> um, but uh, like at that point, like, you know, Phoenix was the voice being like, no, leave them. All yeah. right. Like we have a mission. We have a job to do. Uh, and like that's as far as like, you know, me, I don't know if it's just me as a person or if it is just, you know, the logical thought of. But it's like, yeah, no, Phoenix was right in that scenario. Um, but ultimately for the story. Callista was correct. Yeah. But, you know, like there's I don't think anyone would have bat an eye as far as like with Phoenix call there, because yeah. at the end of the day, you got to take care of yourself and you got to make sure that you and your crew can sail out of there. Um, so like, it, like it's the little things like that, that really make me like Phoenix. Um, but I don't want to jump too far ahead because the big, the biggest reveal to me was Soraka. Um, okay. 
the Soraka reveal was insane. I yeah. was and listen, all bets are off. Listen, if they're listening to this episode, they know what they're getting into. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no, we did our spoiler warning in um in 9.5. Yeah. Right? Like that was, you should have listened, listened to that, that one. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, the Soraka reveal was huge. I was yeah. blown away by it. I think I listened to that part like three times because I was like it was like no, like what, what, what did she say? Like Soraka is like the next closest to Zillion as far as having foresight. Yeah, where Zillion is, you know, using time code, like time cheats and cheat codes <laughs> yeah. to get cheat that. Uh, but Soraka is just blessed by the stars. So it was like I listened to that part like two or three times to be like, oh, what is, like, what is it that you know she's saying? Like, what is she alluding to? And that. As far as listening to the episode, that was definitely one of the things that made me super excited to like go yeah. and read the book later because it's like I want to know, I want to know verbatim everything she said. Uh, but you know, if, from the point of view of Callista, like I think you did a great job of being like Callista was impatient and didn't care to listen, yeah, because she just wanted a straight answer. Um, so we didn't. And it's like you you don't dive into it too much because your main character is not diving into it too much. Um, I will say. Uh, like I, you should count your blessings that you're not recording this with me, uh-huh. because I would have given you so much crap live recording when you were like, "I hope Alawi shows up." Like <laughs> my brother in Christ, this is thousands of years before Alawi. Like, have you forgotten your timeline? Like, I, I and that that's out there now. That's recorded. You you shipped that. All right. I was like, I hope Alawi shows up. Like, who do you think she is? We've recorded over a hundred hours. Okay, I don't want to hear this shit. I'm gonna make mistakes. Some of these are recorded when I'm at my most tired. That's funny because hey. I don't even remember mentioning that. Yeah, and but and it's also funny because you're absolutely. But hey, Naga right. Gaboro still exists. No, wait, no, they don't. Or do they? <laughs> Uh, like, you know what? We won't get into it. We won't get, it'll be spoiler for other episodes if I try to argue my point. All right, let's <laughs> transition. <laughs> so, obviously, there's a lot in part two when it comes to plot devices. Um, so, this is probably a harder question than the previous 9.5. Uh, what was your favorite plot element in this part? I got all these episodes. My favorite plot element, hands down, without a doubt oh. uh is the the use of rise in this story I, incredible yeah absolutely incredible because like we like you know the build up into his retcon story and then the build up of um like the animations that we got thanks to runeterra that yeah. kind of gave us more of an insight in what he was doing like after his biography um and it's like, okay, like, so thanks to all of, like, the retconning and those buildups, we know that Rise plays a pivotal part in a lot of the most major events in Runeterra, period. Mm-hmm. Like, because of the nature of his role as the guardian of Runeterra, essentially, right? Um, so, like, we knowing that is one thing, but getting to see it in action is a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, because it, it was a combination of the how young he is at the point where he is going through the dungeon with Ehrlich. Um, like so you get to see a side of Rise that is not portrayed in his character at all present day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like it's like, yeah, he he was a kid at one point and he had to grow up. 
Um, so we get to see that, uh, the banter of like Ehrlich telling him like, you need to calm down. Yeah. Uh, like Ehrlich of all people, the dude who's torturing, (laughs) (laughs) he's torturing a prefect somewhere in this dungeon, telling this, telling a young rise to calm down is just hysterical to me. Um, sometimes wisdom comes from dark places. (laughs) It really does. But the, like the, it's that whole thing that it's like, you know, the we have to get to a point where the waters of life are opened up to let the events of Diego and Isold unfold. Yeah. And we know what happens. We know what unfolds there. And the fun part is learning all the details, all the little dominoes that fall before that big domino gets hit. Yeah. And rise being in the thick of it and basically being the key element to letting that happen is one of my favorite plot devices uh, so far, because it's like, holy cow, like that just makes sense. It makes sense that he would have been there because he was there for so much of these cataclysmic events. So why wouldn't he be at the ruination? Yeah. And then like, and then it's like, Oh, none of this would happen without rise. Cause Ehrlich wasn't finding the other key. Like it, at, he he kind of hit the point where he's using rise out of desperation. Yeah. Um. So it's like that was like that's one of my favorite little elements there. Um. Uh, so uh, I was super. I was. I was. I think I listened to that part like three times of just yeah. like what happened to them. <laughs> like what's, yeah. what's going down? It. You know, outside of the story itself, to kind of focus on Anthony Reynolds' decision, and it's probably a group choice as well as he was writing this. Where choosing Rise, and if you haven't listened to our Rise episode, even when I recorded the Runation book episodes, I said, you might want to listen to it. There's a bit of spoilers, but to really understand how great of a choice it was to make him so pivotal because of where Rise is in his current life and what his mission is. Because Rise is in a similar situation to Zillion, like we mentioned, but Zillion can't have the influence that Rise can because he's stuck in between time. Rise doesn't have that luxury. Right, He's still on the plane, and he's responsible for what happens in a great degree, and he's kind of paying the price, which would be a lifelong commitment, as far as we know, and his life is long uh, for reasons that we now have some insight into. So it's just when, that, when, I, when I started getting into that part of the story, I was like, holy shit, I thought Anthony Reynolds was doing a great, good job, and now I think he's doing a great job. Uh, like, I mean, it was like it went from I thought he was doing a great job to he's doing a better job than I thought. Like, yeah. was, and I already thought it was a great job. Yeah. And it's, it's even better. Like, it, it's the pieces are falling together and they're falling together better and in better ways than I think I could even dream of being able to write. So it's just, you know, hats off to him. What a good job. And, uh, you know, I, you even mentioned that it's like, you know, like Rise like has to go through it like uh, you know go through the timeline as a normal person this is why i'm constantly going to refer to zillion as just cheat codes um, <laughs> because you know, rise rise and soraka you know they are like for lack of better words blue smurf looking monstrosities yeah. uh and that's how they are able to get to the present day on in a linear path where zillion still looks like a normal dude just dabbing on his way out while he goes to a different point of time. He's like, hey, I know I need to help, but I can't. Oh, no, my hands are tied. Oh, no. Oh, 
no, I'm going back into the past. And it's, like, <laughs> and it's like, don't act like you're not the one casting that spell, you idiot. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I I know I have the power to help here, but it doesn't look like this is going to help Acathia at all. <laughs> um, well, if you don't help us, all of Runeterra will die. Uh, but Ru- Acathia is kind of in a different timeline right now. I'll come back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, so following that, what's your favorite scene out of this part? There's a lot Ooh, of good ones. There's a lot of good ones. Um, oh, that's tough. There's, Readers there's and listeners will ones. know that my favorite is already the duo of Rise uh, going through it. During his panic attack moment. <laughs> <laughs> you were having a lot of fun there. Yeah, that. that was a great part for me. Oh my god. Um I, I think I think my favorite part um would have to be uh like my favorite part is probably gonna have to be with um uh Phoenix and Callista trying to get back to their ship when they get betrayed by oh, the yeah. Corsair. Um, like that was because it, it's one of those things where it's like no one legitimately no one yeah, except maybe except maybe Phoenix mm-hmm. like was fooled by that act. Right. And I say maybe Phoenix because I don't think Phoenix was fooled by it, but I think Phoenix was like probably caught off guard by how many like surprises were involved yeah. there yeah that, like that's that's the vibe i get i she don't think that surprises she... but it got more overwhelming and more competent of a surprise yeah. than she thought that's what it feels like i feel like she was maybe like she had the contingency plan set and then it was just too many num like the numbers were too great for her contingency yeah. plan because it like at no point was anyone surprised by that betrayal it um, gives me, you know, it's funny. The first thing I thought about as they were in that part of the story was Star-Lord and how Star-Lord is a character that's unique because he's goofy, he's fun-loving, he kind of just rolls with the punches, but he's also very competent. And in a lot of Guardians, when they have adventures or they're going on these quests or whatever, there is usually a plan. It's not just winging it, but what tends to happen is they don't account for a lot of things. And then it overpowers and they're able to adjust because they have experience. And that's immediately what I thought of as a comparison yeah. to Venix in that moment. Yeah, like it is it that is a great comparison because I do feel like it was maybe like a one-dimensional plane. Yeah. Like it's it's a, a the the plan doesn't have any contingencies of like uh it doesn't have the um the if then boxes yep. right it, like since it's missing the if and the if then boxes like once they hit that first if then then they you know it's fly by the seat of your pants yeah and since they are competent outside of like the original plan and they're competent and quick on their feet it usually works out yeah but i think that like that was probably my favorite part because of um as far as like the the mad dash back to the ship um and that Indiana Jones feeling of, you know, like start the play. (laughs) Um, Like you have like, you have that element to it, but then it's the, the interactions between Callista and Phoenix uh, where like they, they're, they're really kind of working super well with each other at that point. Like, like Phoenix is kind of leaning on Callista as a first mate almost. 
and there isn't communication as far as like what needs to be done but Callista is still operating with what needs to be done anyways like okay well Phoenix is going to the boat let me go to their boat so I could get rid of their oars and like they they're just working and it's super fast paced and I think that's probably my favorite part and has nothing to do with the fact with how much I love Phoenix um <laughs> And then, like, I guess, like, a, a, the close second would okay, be, like, the adventure. Yeah, I'm the generous. close second would be the adventure of, like, Ehrlich and Rise. Okay. Because it, it really is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see Rise being so human. Yeah. Um, so let's let's jump to the part you wanted to save some spoilers for. And the second half of part two, where we're now in Helia. Callista is there trying to get a decision. We get an introduction to Jendikaya. Of the Sentinels, we Yo. get a lot of the backstory. We get to see the politics of Helia, the layout of the Blessed Isles before it becomes uh, what it is today. What did you think about all that? All right. So first, I can't dive into it without being mad at you first. Uh oh, what did um, I do? Did I do a second thing because... where I mentioned a character out of time? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is this is unrelated to that. I'm mad at you because I was going to make comments where it was like the writing of what Helia was like mm -hmm. is super cool to me because it kind of plays out. Uh, it it plays out of just like you know the shining beacon of good with having a darker side to it yeah so it feels like the demacia of its time and then i was going to be like oh it almost feels like a warhammer story and then you revealed to me some information <laughs> <laughs> would you like to share with the class <laughs> and and you sapped my argument long before we got to recording because then it's like oh hey by the way anthony reynolds is a big warhammer guy too yeah. and it's like of, of course i was like i was like man like i like i was even like kind of getting ready for like you know like some specific like story ties yeah. with warhammer that feels like that where it's like yeah like i'm already gonna be eating this side of the story up because it has that vibe and mm -hmm. i like the warhammer universe it's like oh of course it has that vibe he likes the warhammer universe too <laughs> um so it's great but, inspiration but I do, I, I really like it because it it's, um it kind of, it, it's a nice reminder that it's like the world of Runeterra is just rough all around. um And like with a Demacian comparison, because like Demacia is probably like one of the shining bastions of freedom if you want to get technical with it, because, you know, they are the other big militaristic force that's opposing Noxus. And Noxus is the big, like, the imperialistic military force, right? Yeah. So you would probably look at Demacia first when you want to think about, like, the guys going up against the big baddies. But just like, you know, real life, there's nothing is, nothing is black and white. There's always a lot of gray areas and like the like with Jin Takai or well with JK, um, we got to see that it's like, no, yeah, like they talk a big game where there's no military force because of the barrier around the Blessed Isles. But I'm in charge of making weapons and I, like like it's kind of weird because it's like you can't say that he is making weapons for good. Yeah. Because the Sentinels where we know them and we have, we've covered a lot of Sentinel content on this show. 
uh, they exist to fight the monsters of the Shadow Isles. Mm -hmm. Helia does not exist with the monsters of the Shadow Isles. So why is he making all of these weapons? (laughs) uh, So like, and I'm glad that like you really kind of hammered home that point where it's like, yo, Callista, like her ears perked up and was like, you make weapons? Because I haven't seen a need for weapons yet. And they're trying to like paint this as a utopia. And it's so it was a good thing to have like that gray underlying there because like, you know, the gray underlining for Demacia is that it's like, dude, mage seekers suck. Yeah. Um, So it's it's opening the door to be like everything's not what it seems. And it's not saying that they're, you know, oh, they're the bad guys. Yeah. It's more of just say that it's not as black and white as you want it to be. Um, and that was a refreshing thing. That was probably like the, my favorite twist in the Helia part of the story. Once we got there was that, you know, the Sentinels are kind of on their way and building up despite the fact that the, that is not the, they don't have the mantra of the Sentinels as we know it yet, yeah. because there are no shadow Isle monsters. There has a bit of ruination yet. So why are you going to have a force dedicated to fight those things? They don't know those things. <laughs> so what are they trying to fight? Yeah, one one thing that surprised me, I say surprise, but it makes sense, and props to Anthony Reynolds. Um, if if any of you are familiar with the Bechtel test, it's in which you have two female characters interacting for long periods of time during a work of art, and there is no mention or reference to a man, right? The story is about them and what they're doing and what their growth is. And we got that a lot with Venix and Callista, where it's just them running the show, them doing their thing. It's not about some, you know, patriarchy, whatever. And then we immediately go to the Blessed Isles with Tyrus and Rise, and we shift back to, oh, she meets Jendikaya, right? Another strong female character, and she's actually leading the Sentinel program. And we're like, okay, and she's bringing Callista, and that's where Callista feels more comfortable. And once again, we're passing the Bechdel test. And it's not that you write to do that. It's just how seamlessly and well integrated it is. And it adds more value in my in my perspective. Because we always talk about um we always talk about how a lot of the story does so well with representation uh in a proper way, because it can be done in a grimy way. Um and this plays into that as well. When Jendikaya, because Jendikaya is, and I'm, I'm gonna start saying J.K. because we're talking about her a lot. When J.K. is yeah, introduced, I, yeah, I like J.K. <laughs> yeah, when she's introduced, she's introduced pretty late into part two, so we don't get much of her yet. Um, and if you remember from 9.5, I gave Hetch a quote from her, and he didn't know who she was at that point. So I didn't. I'm happy you brought her up. Um, and like to the point as far as like you know passing those tests mm-hmm. it also makes sense uh at the time of the story to really you know have that that test come back up yeah. specifically for Callista's development in the story because she feels severely out of her element yep. here uh because you know like her biggest issue at this point is that she has to wait and Tyrus even calls her out on that of like, yeah, you're a princess. You've never had to wait for anything. Like, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the re- welcome to the other ninety nine percent of the world, yeah. baby. Um, so like she's having to deal with that, and then like it's a very peaceful area before she's like you know learning about anything else there. There's nothing to do, so she's trapped in her own thoughts, and it's like even mentioned that you know she's kind of realizing that she is you know, 
like if she's not uh just stuck in a worried loop mm -hmm. of trying worrying about like what is going to happen if this takes too long or worried about if Phoenix ends up being not at the rendezvous point because she had to go back and get supplies. If she doesn't focus on that worried circle, then she lets her thoughts drift to Ladros, her feelings with Ladros, and the guilt that she feels that she's thinking about Ladros, not about Hecarim. Yeah. And so it, it makes sense that to have JK jump into the point of the story there because the last thing that Callista wants to be doing is thinking about a man. <laughs> like, she has, she's got a very complicated scenario yep. going on there. And the only thing that's distracting her from those complicated thoughts is a worried loop of the worst case scenarios. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, like JK is like, yo, I make weapons for this group called the Sentinels. Thank God. Like, let's go. Like, that's that's really what it boiled down to, right? Like, is the timing, the timing was just as good. As yeah. The, you know, outside of like the actual writing and their dialogue. Okay. Like, the timing of it was perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been going on for a while, and I think we're at that point where, um, overall, what are your feelings on this part? And since we've done this before compared to the previous part um so uh, like as far as like the main feeling is that like i i can't wait for us to get through part three so that we could record this again and specifically so i can go listen to part three and yeah. then just go read this like i'm excited to like get more of this story yeah um that, that's definitely like the biggest feeling up there i am i am now like for the this is i could argue like for the first time because like part one did not have me at this point mm -hmm. but like so for the first time i can say that i'm actually excited to see as far as like like i'm actually excited to see the progression uh as far as the actual character interactions for the build-up of returning to camivore to then have our journey back to helia um, because there's there's a lot going on for each of the characters that have been in part two. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really curious to see how that's going to play out when we get back to Camivore. Um, because, I mean, we, we know what's going to happen to Helia. Uh, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. That ain't a surprise. And like, but it's like the there are so many different like underlying issues that the characters are struggling with that really helps you you know relate to the human side of it and i can't wait to see what what anthony reynolds does to kind of wrap it up into uh into the finished product because it's he he's got it like i i think that he has a his finger is on the pulse of the story of the ruination like it is he, I think he really has brought it to life in a much better way than I could have anticipated. So I'm really excited to see how these pieces fall together before we start returning back to Helia, okay. because they, I, there's, there's a, there's all the pieces needed to make a picture, and I just can't see the picture, and that's exciting with a prequel story. If I can't see that picture, like it, it gives me something to look forward to, and to see what like how it is going to fall into place before we start on our epic ending because who oh boy is it an explosive <laughs> ending <laughs>
<laughs> and how we ended the last part, and I want to do that again, is with the quote that we're given at the beginning of the part. And for this one, it is, quote, better to act and risk a mistake than do nothing trapped by indecision. And this is an ancient Camavorian proverb. What does that mean to you? Uh, paralysis analysis <laughs> is a thing. <laughs> exactly. So, like we said, I lied about 10 minutes. I, I warned you. Uh, <laughs> if they didn't know by this point, like, how many hours do we have recorded? Like, they know. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, we'll leave it there until, once again, we finish part three. So thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon with the next episode. And once again, since Hedge is here, he can say his part. Yeah. Take care, everybody.